Prometheus Radio Theater and Firebringer Audio present The Cattail Country Store, created by Stephen H. Wilson. Tonight's episode, Spanish Moss, written by Stuart S. Roth. Spanish moss. Curious thought to come to one's mind on a summer night. I felt a compelling need to check my inventory. Spanish moss wasn't something a country store is known for maintaining. It isn't really a sellable commodity. But there is always a customer for every item, and chances are if I think I might have some in stock, then there's someone in need of it. I creak my way downstairs, listening to the crickets call from beyond my screen windows. Warm evening. Always nice to enjoy a fine North Carolina evening. You never know what you'll get up to at my age. At the bottom of the stairs, I push open the swing door and click on the store light. Electrics buzz a bit and then illuminate my pride and folly. The dry goods store is calm and quiet. I never have to worry about the staples, flour, baking needs, tobacco, soda pop, canned goods, farm goods on consignment. An eternity can go by and those things never change. Spanish moss, though. I'll need the shelves to guide my memory to where I keep that. Not with the motor oil and farm equipment. All I find there's the, the 1935 John Deere calendar that still needs to be hung. Still, that can wait. Somehow it don't seem too important, especially as it's layered with dust. I scratch my chin and search the counter, past the cash register with my last sale still on display, on over to the shelves. And there it is, mason jar all the way up on the uppermost shelf. Of course. Need to bring the barrel to reach that. Barrel's solid walnut. Holds my display of Burma shave. Salesman asked me to display his goods prominent, so my barrel, which also serves as an extra seat for visitors and as a ladder, had to be sacrificed. Picking up the display, I get a sense that we're long past the Burma shave advert's date. Still... Nothing beats a classic sales pitch. Within this veil of toil and sin, your head grows bald, but not your chin. I am about to begin the struggle. The barrel isn't a featherweight. When I notice that the crickets have stopped their chatter outside. Now, that's not right. I look out the screen door. The porch light's on. Moths just a-dancing around it like children heading to the state fair. If the porch light's on, that means there's something to be seen. Out in the road, a white blur appears, like a wisp of fog lit up against the dark. It is elusive, fading and growing as I try to focus on its form. Then suddenly the moths are gone. I step back to the counter and I see it ain't a patch of fog at all. It's a little girl climbing up onto my porch. 
She pulls open the screen door, ringing the bell. Her eyes are open as wide as can be, but I can tell she's still asleep. No more than ten years old. Must be past her bedtime. Besides her bare feet and ankle-length nightshirt and disheveled mouse-fur-colored hair paint the picture that she's sleepwalking. She stands in the doorway, half in, half out. Come in, I say quiet-like. Don't want to startle her. Yes, sir. She wipes sleep from her eyes and looks at her hand on the door like it was someone else's. Then she steps under the light where I can get a good look at her. I get customers at odd hours, but I ain't a young lady like yourself supposed to be in bed. She don't answer. She just looks around. Liz? So your name is Liz, I ask her. No, sir. I'm looking for Liz. Have you seen her? There's a lilt to her voice. Not Carolina, but somewhere in the South. Maybe somewhere they got Spanish moss. Looks like you're sleepwalking, too. Come a long way? I notice that the crickets still aren't singing their evening hymn. That bothers me. Visitors don't normally disturb them. Nothing does. It isn't the girl making them quiet. I pick her up and gently lift her onto the counter while I study the darkness beyond the porch lamp. I listen. But I don't hear crickets. I hear... sounds. Distant shouts and cheers. A steady funeral drumming. Not, not cheers, no. Jeers, threats, curses, shouts, a general condemnation. On the counter, the little girl grows rigid. Kill them, say the phantom voices in the dark. Kill the traitors. Death to the aristocrats. The girl's scream jars me to action. Get! I shout to the night. I love you. Leave her alone. I turn round, and she leaps into my arms, trembling, her hands gripping me like a drowning man's. I soothe her, remembering my own little girl. Long gone now. Easy, little one. Easy. Just a bad dream. I set her back on the counter. Her brown eyes are bright. She's awake now. Where's Liz? I need her. Is she here? Easy. You're safe now. You're here in old Gus's store. I'm Gus. Mr. Gus? How did I get... Where? This ain't Miss Lucy's store. No, you've been sleepwalking. Must have walked some ways. You aren't from around here. Where are you from? St. Francisville, Mr. Gus. I'm Sarah Hennishaw. My daddy's Michael Hennishaw. My mama is Anne. She looked left and right, like a rabbit ready to bolt. I keep my hands on her shoulders to steady her. I was in a cart. People were shouting and throwing rotten tomatoes at us. Everyone in the cart was ladies and nun robes. She reached up to her head. My hair was cut off. All of my hair was cut off. St. Francisville, where's that? St. Francisville, she says, as if everyone knows where that is. Feliciana Parish, Louisiana. Second biggest tourist attraction in Louisiana. That's what the sign says. We got the Catalpa Plantation and the Gambling Riverboat on the Mississippi. 
Sounds like a big place. No, sir, Mr. Gus. We're just a small place. I'm awake now. She carefully lowers herself down from the counter and wraps her arms around her, just noticing she's wearing her nightclothes. Can you tell me where Liz might be? She usually comes running when I have bad dreams. She circled the counter, looking but not touching. She was probably taught by her parents. I like children who are brought up right. Liz is this tall. She holds her hand up over her head. She's got hair my color, but it is all curled. Mama won't let me fix up my hair like that even though I ask her every chance I can. Lizzie's older than me. Nope. She doesn't sound familiar. No, most of the young folk around here. A business with a card. Is that what your dream was about? Suddenly she turns to the windows. Liz! Oh, there you are, Liz! The door opens, bell rings, another girl enters. This one wears a summer dress, has curly hair, more blonde than the mouse color of Sarah's. She looks to be about fifteen. I've been looking all over for you. Older girl throws her arms around Sarah. Sisters? You weren't in your bed. I heard you calling but couldn't find you. Liz looks at me like a mother bear who saw me coming near her cub. The words enter my mind again. Spanish moss. Sarah pulls herself back and tells about her dream. I was in the French Revolution in one of those carts. They was taking me to get my head cut off. It started like that black and white movie where the man says, It is a far, far better thing I do before they chop off his head. But I was too scared to think about something stupid like that. I was really scared. People was throwing things. I got hit by a tomato. It was all red on my robe. I was wearing a robe. It was gray like a nun wears. She found a way to my store. Name's Gus. Liz ignores me, just talks to the girl. You've been listening to Will telling tales, haven't you? No, I ain't. It wasn't Will. We are learning about the French Revolution in school. Are you telling me not to go to school because it ain't good for my dreams? Stop saying ain't. You know Dad doesn't want to hear you talking bad English. It isn't Will Kappa I was listening to. He was only telling me about the box in the church. But there was no box or church in my nightmare. Will is an evil boy, and you know very well he was telling you tales under that willow tree, and that's why you had a nightmare. Stop bossing me. I don't like it when you boss me. And do you like sleepwalking and bothering people out of their sleep? Sarah turns to me. I'm sorry, Mr. Gus. No harm done. But there is something you can help me with. You girls, take the Burma shave stock off that barrel and help me move that thing over to the shelf. I need to get something down. I'll do it, Liz says. Sarah runs forward, taking off the clutter from the barrel. Competition and defiance in that one. You sure got old stuff in your store, mister. Liz helps me walk the barrel to the shelf. I climb atop it while the girls hold it steady. Now you two sisters. I fetch down the glass mason jar with the Spanish moss in it. No, Mr. Gus, Sarah answers. Liz nudges her to be silent, but she continues anyway. She's my imaginary friend. Oh? I know, I know. I'm too old to have an imaginary friend. None of my friends at school know. Since I'm just dreaming, 
I guess it don't hurt to tell you. Liz is always there when I need her. I look through the glass jar, past the dry, dead moss, through the wavy curve of the glass. Lizzie's just a-staring daggers at me, like to kill me with her eyes for knowing her secret. It isn't nice to talk such things, Sarah. You can't just say I want Liz to help me and then never listen to me when I tell you things. I'm telling you not to listen to stupid Will Kappa. Only a few years back, you were afraid of that willow tree, and you forget that Will Kappa wasn't always so nice. I put up a hand. Hold on, I don't understand any of this. Who is Will? Are you sisters or not? Liz turns her back on me. Ashamed or mad? I don't know. Will is a kappa. He lives in our willow tree. Sarah explains. A kappa is a water demon. That's enough about that idiot boy, says Liz. What about you? I ask. Sarah takes Liz's hand. Not imaginary. I didn't mean imaginary. She's just invisible, and only I can see her. Liz sighs, kinda, and her shoulders ease down. Why's it been so long since you called me to visit? I gotta spend my time with Will these days if I want to talk to someone. Sorry. Will told me the story, and it made me afraid. I called him a liar. He said it weren't a lie. The box was in a church, and the little plaque said just what he told me about it. They wouldn't lie in church. If the plaque says it, it must be true. Sometimes they lie, Liz grumbles. You girls gonna let old Gus in on this business about the box in the church? Sarah shushes Liz and swings round to tell me like it was a schoolyard secret. It has a head in it. The plaque says she was a martyr. It was a nun, not a full nun yet. She was in training. A novice says Liz. Yes, a novice nun. She was born when Louisiana was part of France. You knew Louisiana was part of France once, right, Mr. Gus? I do remember learning something about that when I was in school. Sarah nods, probably trying to imagine what I looked like at her age. Anyway, this training nun was born in Louisiana from a well-to-do family. She was sent to school in Paris to learn from the Carmelite nuns. They didn't have good schools for girls here yet, not even in New Orleans or Baton Rouge. This girl was named Elspeth d'Arboru. The last name I might have wrong, but the first name is really Elspeth. That's a funny name, but that's what it was. Form of Elizabeth, I say. Go on. Sarah fidgets, as kids are like to do. She went to Paris before the king and Marie Antoinette got their heads chopped off. The nuns taught her everything, and she was such a good student that they asked her to become a nun. Liz's eyes narrow. Anyway, she knew God was more important than the new people who killed the king. They came to the monastery, and the nuns, one after another, said they would not give up their vow to God or say that the republic was more important. The people threatened them. People on the street would drag other folk out of their houses and beat them and hang them from posts, so they probably said that would happen to them, so they locked the doors of the nun house. But the government came. The men said they had to call each other citizen and had to give up all their land and the church's wealth. They said they would give up these things, but they would never say that God was equal to those people. 
One after the other, they followed what the mother superior said. Then they came to Elspeth. She bravely said she would rather die than turn from God. Sarah looks at her feet. They killed all the nuns. They took them in a cart to the guillotine and chopped off their heads. Why would people do that? Why would people cheer and throw tomatoes at them? I would never do that. I wouldn't want to watch someone being killed. Liz puts a hand on her shoulder. The crowds and the killing all happened, but the box in the church isn't real. Oh, yeah, the box, Sarah remembers. We have a Catholic church in town. I'm not Catholic. We have our Baptist church that we go to, so I've never been in that other church. Will told me about the box and told me to read the plaque if I didn't believe him. And are you going to tell me about the box? What does it have to do with this poor, unfortunate novice? It has her head inside. They never found her body. Her family was so sad about what happened to their daughter. They wrote to the church in Rome and to the nuns in other places. They brought the head back. I don't know how they found it. They must have watched the brave nuns die and somehow saved the head. They brought it home to the family. The church was so proud of what Elspeth did that they said they wanted to keep her head in the church near the altar near Jesus. They put it in a box, covered it with red velvet, and put it behind an iron gate. They light candles near the plaque outside the gate. But she isn't a saint. The plaque says so, but people still light candles for her. I reckon a story like that wouldn't give a body nightmares. That's all it is. Liz says, a story. A true story. Even though it ain't my church, it is still a church. Daddy says all churches are sacred places to the people who go to them. They wouldn't tell lies and make plaques and light candles if it wasn't true. She shivers. There is a head in the box. It is all just a skull now, but it is in there. They keep relics of saintly people even if they ain't a saint. Stop saying it! Stop it! I can't stand that word! Then why don't you go? Ain't, ain't, ain't. Sarah sticks out her tongue. Will also told me who told him the story. He never leaves his tree. How would he know about the box in church unless someone told him? I don't care who told that boy anything. You told him, Liz. You told him the story. Why are you telling him stories if you say they was a lie? Lizzie's lips twist and her whole being looks angry. She grabs Sarah's arm and sets to beating her backside. Sarah don't stand for this. She pushes and slaps back. I go to stop them before hair pulling starts, but they step back. I never want to see you again, Lizzie. And yeah, I know you're too big to be called Lizzie and that you want to be called Liz. Her eyes darken and her face grows stern. Or maybe you want to be called Elizabeth now. Is that it, Elizabeth? Will Kappa told me everything, and the more you get mad, the more I know it's true. But I ain't never gonna call you again. You are just imaginary, and I never want to think you up again. Don't dream about that box again. I'm warning you, Sarah Henshaw. Don't dream things that will give you nightmares, and don't listen to everything people in this world tell you, stupid girl. Stupid you. You're stupid, Lizzie. She turns her back, red-faced, on the other girl. Then all of a sudden, she just fades away. 
Liz walks to where Sarah had stood, waves her hand forlornly over what's now just empty space. Can't tell if she's mad or struggling to ask for my help. I was never very good with young people. Then I notice the crickets are back. When did that happen? Why do you keep that stuff in a bottle? Liz asks. Spanish moss. Tell you the truth, I didn't rightly know I had it until tonight. I hold up the mason jar and study its contents. Brown, dry, twisted. Like matted hair of an old witch. Kind of a curiosity in these parts. You don't sell it in your store, surely. Back home it grows like weeds everywhere, in the swamp trees, in the woods, and all over. I look at her through the jar. The distorting glass smooths out the anger and defiance on her face. Much of what makes a storekeeper's living is what he puts in that don't sell. Dead. Dried. Wasted. She sounds like a wounded dog. Mournful, but knowing it can't do nothing to help itself. Till this moment, I hadn't figured who the customer from a Spanish moss was. Thought it was little Sarah, but now I reckon it might be Liz. Dead and dry, sure, but not wasted. Has kind of a hidden charm. I look at it and think of misty swamps, gators, weeping willows, maybe a ghost or two. Liz looks at me so cold and hard, it's like she has an extra eye somewhere, hidden and looking at me in anger. But I think it's time to make her tell the truth. It was you that told this Will fella about the box in the church, I say. Why does anyone tell anyone anything? I gotta talk to someone about something when I get lonely enough. So imaginary folk get to feeling lonely? Ignore all that talk. Sarah likes to make stuff up, and Will Capper promised me he wouldn't tell her. I should have known not to trust him. He likes giving Sarah nightmares. Sometimes we want people to tell things even though we don't know it. Maybe this Will fella... I did it is all. Yes, I told Will Capper, and I told Will Capper not to tell Sarah, but that's what he up and did. Sad story about that Elspeth, the novice nun. Sad thing to happen to a soul. I guess so. Sad stories everywhere, I guess. Elspeth's another form of Elizabeth, ain't it? She doesn't answer, except with the burning daggers from her eyes. Elizabeth, Liz, sounds almost like Elspeth. Silence. We only hear the crickets. A bat sweeps the porch light. Look here, youngin, it's late, and I'm not long on patience. Why did you tell this Will your life story if you knew he'd tell the one person you didn't want to hear about it? That isn't me. That ain't my story. I'm imaginary, remember? You was ready to believe that a minute ago. She taps her temple. I'm only in her head. She talks to me when she's scared to go to school, or when the weeping Willie used to make shadows in the moonlight on her bedroom wall. A minute ago you weren't imaginary. Now you are. Which is it? I got an eye for knowing things other folks don't believe in. So which are you? Imaginary? Or something else?
I'm whatever Sarah thinks I am. You mean she only calls you when she's afraid and needs an imaginary friend? So you found a way to make her afraid? A little afraid. When she was little, she used to talk to me all the time. Now I need her to feel a little frightened or a little sad or lonely. Anything so she'll remember me. Then you are the spirit of that novice nun. I never told Will anything like that. But he figured it out. I don't mean no harm. Truly, I don't. Sarah is special. She always has been. That's how she can see me. That's how she sees Will Kappa and other things normal people don't. She gives us life. She lifts the jar of Spanish moss, gentle-like, cradling it. That plaque at the church doesn't tell the truth. I wasn't brave. I wasn't all a mess either. But the prioress never gave us a chance to answer for ourselves. No one asked me. They just took me to prison and then they took me to die. Would you have give up your oath to God to save your life? Maybe. Maybe not. The point is that I was never given the chance. For a minute she stops and thinks, careful-like. Yes, I would say whatever I needed to say to evil men in order to save my life. She looks up at me, eyes all a spark in golden brown fire. I guess that's why you're here, Mr. Gus. You're gonna tell me that my soul is as dry and dead as this Spanish boss. This is my punishment to walk the earth only thought of in a child's nightmares. She slams the jar down. I'm never going to speak of God in any bad way unless I have to. He does with the world any way he sees fit. But if he is mad at me for something in my heart, then he shouldn't have made me that way. I don't know who you think I am, but I ain't the one to tell anyone what God is thinking. Not my job. You're the one seems to be stuck and punished in your mind. Most folks move along on the road when they die. I am doomed to roam the world until my head and body are reunited and at rest. That silent stare of hers again. It was joined by crossed arms of defiance. That's a load of pig slop, girl. She smirks. Of course it is. For a long time I thought it was maybe that. Or maybe God was angry with me. But I know the truth. I was only 16 when I died. My whole life was ahead of me. It was the family that sent me to the nuns. They wanted me to be educated in Paris. When I was old enough, I was going to escape and live my life. Unfinished business. I get a lot of that around here. Things are so dark when Sarah doesn't think about me. I can see the road ahead. Is that what you call the light? I need to walk down that road, but all I can think of is how they took away everything I was going to be in this life. That was the last thought I had the second I died. Now that's the truth. I'm a pretty good judge of what's true. Been here on the road a long time. Guess I know the human heart pretty well by now. Liz seems all talked out. 
and the crickets have gone quiet again. There's not even any moths circling the porch light. Ain't pure silence, though. I hear them distant voices in the night again. Sobbing, fear, prayers. Makes me think of tricolor brocade like in the history books. I never went to school after the fourth grade, but I remember those pictures. Other voices overpower the frightened ones. Angry shouts, jeers, a mob somewhere in the dark. Marching feet, the sound of horses' hooves and tumbrel wheels on cobblestone streets. I ain't never seen a cobblestone street. All this just pops into my head. Sarah's asleep, Liz says. She's having the nightmare again. She calls out to the night. Wake up! Please wake up! Don't follow the dream! Liz starts, kind of. And I see Sarah through the screen door. Her eyes are wide, unseeing. She comes inside, pale white in her nightshirt. She's like a ghost. Gus, you have to wake her, please. I can't, Liz. Sarah's holding a very old key. Heavy, cast iron. Liz looks at the counter, backs up and screams. Where there was a mason jar, there's now a square wooden box with an iron padlock. Box from the church. Box with Elspeth's head inside. Voices are all around us now. Death to traitors. Long live the Republic. Not human, but the cries of animals. Animals come to watch Liz die. If she opens the box, she'll see who I am. I only meant to scare her a little. I didn't think she could make the box appear. Liz clasps her hands over her ears to block out the mob. Sarah sleepwalks toward the box, not seeing. I only wanted you to remember I was here. Liz makes to block her way, but Sarah passes through, one ghost passing through another. We're inside her nightmare now. I see what she's seen. Terrified girl, shaved head, gray robes, bound hands riding the open cart as the mob threw rotten vegetables and dirt. Ahead of them waited the scaffold. Sarah, don't go no further. Please, I'm sorry I gave you a whip and I had no right. The ancient key extends toward the lock. I can sense Sarah's heart racing. I hear the guillotine blade drop. One by one, the nuns is taken from the cart to die. The Carmelite sisters sing in prayer, but not Sarah. One by one, the voices fall silent until only the prioress and Sarah remain. Hands take Sarah. She's the last to die before the prioress. Sarah reaches the key toward the lock, knuckles white like flour. She ain't afraid of death, I say to Liz. Got no reason to be. This is just a story to her like a tale of two cities. She is afraid she is. I can hear her heart beating so fast. If she opens that box, I I don't know what it'll do to her. I don't care about me anymore, Gus. Do something. Do something. The key's in the lock. Sarah's froze in place. The guillotine blade raises in her mind. 
What's she afraid of then? I asked Liz. Think. Tell me why she wants to open the box if it has a gruesome thing like a head in it. I don't know. I don't know what she is afraid of. Sarah turns the key in the lock. It's old and stiff, hard for a little girl. I grab Liz's arm. She's solid to the touch. I feel her pulse rapid as Sarah's heartbeat. You and her have been arguing fierce. Why? Yes, always. I don't know why. The lock falls open and drops at Sarah's feet. You do know. Why? I don't want to be forgotten. What's that got to do with the box? The lid of the box creaks open a crack, only darkness seeping out. Liz falls into my arms. She knows I'm in there. Will told her everything. She'd never come out and say it, but I know Will told her she's afraid of ghosts. She'll know what I am, and she'll stop believing in imaginary friends to make the ghosts go away. Her friends called her a baby when she told them about me. So she's afraid to open the box, afraid to know what is and isn't true, afraid to have to grow up. Yet she has to open it, has to know. She'll be done with me and never think of me again. Against my shoulder, Liz is as warm and alive as anyone. Ghosts ain't always cold and chilled. Sarah, she calls. I know you don't want to stop believing I'm here. I know only little children have imaginary friends, but you don't have to forget me when you grow up. You don't have to stop believing just because your friends say they don't believe. You don't have to be afraid of me. I'd never hurt you. Never. She's right, Sarah, I add. Liz needs your help. She needs you to close that lid and look away. Sarah, I'm still here. I am real. You're still my friend. My sister. Liz closes her eyes, waits for that axe to fall once again like it did so many years ago. Sarah opens the lid all the way, stares into the depths. Her face ain't showing fear, though she's confused. Let's out a little giggle, then she starts to laugh. It's then I realize Sarah's laughing in her sleep. She reaches into the box and draws out Spanish moss. Just old box stuffed with weeds. Sarah says to the ceiling, You're a big fat liar, Will Kappa. I'm going to punch you when I see you. You do that, Liz sighs. Sarah sees her for the first time and hugs her tight. This time they don't pass through each other. The sound of the mob is gone and once again the night is filled with cricket song. Like she was never there, Sarah fades away. I reckon she's back in her bed in St. Francisville, Louisiana. Liz looks at the crumbles on the counter. Spanish moss. Does your store always have what the customer needs most, Mr. Gus? I tidy up the mess and close the lid on what's once again an ordinary mason jar. You have a little more time, Elspeth. Not much, though. I can feel her growing up. She can feel it, too. That's why she was so afraid of what she'd see in the box. There's time for goodbyes and a few more heart-to-heart -heart talks. She'll share good memories with you, too, now that you don't have this between you. I put the jar on the shelf. For all I know, it won't be there again tomorrow. <laughs>
ain't needed no more. That road outside the door might look scary when you're walking it at night, but it's full of opportunities. I think you knew that all along. You wouldn't have shared your deepest secret with this Will character unless deep down you wanted that secret off your chest. She gives a look I've seen on many who've walked this road and seen my light on. It's the look of someone no longer in this world. It looks so peaceful and far away. Some nights I wish I could walk the rest of the way with them. Go home now, Liz, I say. Enjoy your time with the Hennishaws and know you have a future. Remember, no one ever forgets their imaginary friends, but those memories in an adult are only tiny little soap bubbles. You don't want to be trapped in fond memories. She hugs me. It ain't an easy thing for her to do. Music is composed by Kevin McLeod and used with permission. Some sound effects are courtesy of the Freesound Project at www.freesound.org. This recording is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.